Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, I was there in Salt Lake City. I saw Utah play a really good second half, a great second half against USC. They did what Oregon State could not do. They finish the game against USC. What happens now to USC? Can they get back to the conference championship game? They'll have to do some things in their favor, of course. But they do have on their schedule a head-to-head matchup with rival UCLA, among other games. And the Pac-12 being the Pac-12, I fully expect two one-loss teams to be playing in Las Vegas on December 2nd. Ryan Abraham is the owner and operator of uscfootball.com. He's got his finger on the pulse of USC football. He is the guy. If you are interested in USC, you're reading Ryan Abraham, and he's joining us now. How are you, man? I'm doing good, John. It's great to see you in uh, Salt Lake City, too. That was uh, It was brief, but uh, another fun uh, road trip for the Pac-12. Yeah, let's talk about that game, first of all. You know, in your mind, a lot of discussion afterwards about the officiating. Let's start there. How big of an impact does the typical USC fan feel that the officiating had on that outcome? Yeah, I think a lot of USC fans do. And, you know, I honestly, yeah, I think that was I, – I don't think there was a conspiracy or anything. I just think it was typical Pac-12 poor officiating. I think Lincoln Riley said as much. Unfortunately, the bigger calls and the, probably the most major calls went against USC. I think they got the benefit of calls the week before against Washington State. So I, I think it's just more of a general incompetence just from looking at you know Pac-12 officiating across the board. But having an interception wiped out, they, USC really had a hard time getting stops. They got two stops that were wiped out by uh, you know really non. Uh, roughing the passer calls. So they were just critical penalties against USC. But there was a million things USC could have done to win that game that was in their control. Uh, they didn't do all those things, and then something happened that was – a couple of things happened out of their control, and they paid the price for it. The You know, the Oregon State game, I left that game thinking, you know, USC's got some flaws. Somebody's going to get them. But then I, you look at the schedule and you go, no, not them, no, not them. And then, you know, you really just looked at Utah and maybe the UCLA game as the two – sticking points what's the state of the union right now uh how how is this team psyche do you expect that they get right back on track or are you curious you know i I think you're right this is a flawed team and i saw them at oregon state and i think some usc fans and even some of the coaches come away from that utah game feeling even a little bit better about their chances to win the pac-12 where the last time i saw you know utah play it was a neutral site but it really was a home game was the you know the championship game and man they just steamrolled Oregon in that one. USC gave them all they could handle, obviously, and, you know, they were they were ahead of that game until the last minute. Um, and I, I feel like they know that there were some things that they could have done better and won that game. But to go into Salt Lake City where no one ever wins, 
I think it's, it was a good showing for them. So I, I feel like this team is coming out of this loss with a lot of confidence. There was talk of Lincoln Riley, I think it was three different occasions when he was at Oklahoma that they lost the game in October and went on to make the college football playoff. I don't think it was a playoff team. I, mean, I guess there's an outside chance, but really the focus should be on trying to win the Pac-12 in Lincoln Riley's first year. And I, did, I know it's not like mathematically they control their own destiny, but they pretty much do unless some weird stuff happens. So they take care of business. I mean, they got three very winnable games before the, the UCLA game. I think this team is actually, you know, ready to bounce back from it. You can tank from a loss. You can sink. I'm not getting that feeling from going to practice this week and, and talking to the players and coaches. Yeah, I, I, I've had that feeling. And I also, you know, I bumped into Colin Cowherd in the airport in Salt Lake as I was flying out. And I sat and talked with him for about 15 minutes. And he's, he's high, sky high on USC. And he said, I feel better about him. And, and he went on to kind of, you know, similar to you that, you know, he said, hey, look, that's a tough place to play. Let's see how they respond. Sometimes there's a good loss that happens. Lincoln Riley, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, it just always has felt like he needs the defense to play a little better. That offense uh, is going to score points. Defensively, can they make improvements, Ryan? I think they can. The problem is if they lose Eric Gentry, the, the you know the inside linebacker that they got from Arizona State, he's been like the MVP outside of maybe like a Tuli Tuli Pelotu was leading the nation in sacks. But they need this is a defense that needs to make those negative plays. They have to force turnovers. They have to get sacks. They only got one turnover against Utah, and they didn't get a sack and one tackle for loss. It's sort of like a it's a bend but don't break. But they really kind of rely on those big plays, and I. I don't think it. I think it complements pretty well with the kind of offense they have. So I think they can get better. You can't let Utah go three for three on fourth downs. You can't let them, you know, score their only two point conversion. You got to stop one or two of those. And if you do, you win the game, you know. But they didn't stop any of them. So I think there's definitely room for improvement. You can't just let a, a team like Utah go through go through you like that and not make one critical stop down the stretch when you really needed one. How you know? It- it was evident to me after the game that, you know, my email inbox, my Twitter, blowing up with people around the conference who I think were just delighted to see USC lose because there's bad feelings about the Big Ten defection. Is that a storyline in the USC world right now? Or, you know, has it, has it caused uh, USC to maybe draw a circle around itself and pull tighter? What has been the impact of sort of that outside noise and the bad feelings around the conference? You know, I haven't heard too much about that, John. It's funny, though. I think at least people like on, you know, my Twitter feed and on our message boards, I think USC fans sort of got used to not being like the the Death Star, not being the hated one, not being the supervillain. Now that they feel like they're kind of there again, it feels like you're back. You know, it feels like, <laughs> okay, if yeah. everyone hates us, if Utah Storm in the field, that means – you know, this was a 4-8 and eight team last year, and Utah stormed the field after winning. I mean, that's showing you something that people now, again, fear this USC football team. And I, I think the fans kind of embrace that more, where if you just, oh, you know, last year when Oregon State's blowing you out, Utah and Stanford, it's just, it's just not the same. Now the perception is that USC is back. They hired a good coach. They got good players again. Now it's like USC's real again. So I feel like that's kind of where you want to be if you're USC. You'd rather be hated than not. And I don't know if, you know, I mean, some of it's the Big Ten stuff, but I think a lot of it's just that, oh, yeah, we remember when USC's good, they're probably a program we can't touch. So we'd rather them not be good, if that makes any sense. 
You were talking to Ryan Abraham. He is the editor and publisher of uscfootball.com. Really good follow on Twitter as well. The schedule. Let's talk a little bit about this. You know, I was peeking ahead at USC's schedule, and you're right. Like, you know, if they had beaten Utah, they're looking at 10-0. and 0. And instead, they will now go to Arizona, host Cal, host Colorado. There aren't three easier games in the conference than those three. Uh, if USC shows up, they win those. It sets up November 19th, SC at UCLA. How do you see that game? Yeah, I mean, I think UCLA can do a lot of the stuff that Utah did, you know. I mean, I think that they can control the ball. They could use their, you know, tight ends. They can run the ball. Now, Utah didn't run the ball very well, and that's something that USC did pretty good uh, on the defensive side. But I think that's it's something similar you could see where they can be physical up front and they can move the chains and keep things going. And, and DTR, being a mobile quarterback, is it going to be hard to contain like it was for Cam Rising? I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities there. And I'm curious to see what happens with UCLA this weekend when they go to, to you know, Eugene. I mean, that's obviously going to be the, the game of the week in the Pac-12. you got college game day and all that stuff going on. Um, but to see where UCLA is. They haven't really been tested away from home. They played Colorado on the road. And they didn't re- look really good. It was sort of like Chip Kelly's. He took an NFL preseason approach to the out-of-conference games. But they're playing really well right now. And so I'm curious to see what happens then. And it could be a really good matchup. Maybe UCLA's undefeated. Maybe they have, you know, just one loss. And, that, you know, it could be for – certainly could be for a spot in the Pac-12 title game when those two teams play. But you're right. The, the three games leading up to it, I mean, on paper, they shouldn't really be that tough for USC. Uh, and then you're going into this one, you know, at a 9-1 and record. That's pretty good. Um, Notre Dame doesn't look that good either. So – to go from four and eight to you know, if they lose to UCLA, ten and two, you know, maybe right. nine and three. That's that's a pretty good turnaround. But it's going to be for me a really important matchup in this Pac-12 conference. The way everything is is shaping up right now. Yeah, and look, I I had predicted that it would there would be some growing pains. I thought that USC would struggle. I thought that they would lose some games. You know, and of course we didn't know Stanford would be that bad. But that Stanford game in the beginning of the year, I was pointing at that one as other people were and going, hey. That might be that might be the first loss for USC. Uh, we're talking to Ryan Abraham. Uh, he is the publisher and editor at uscfootball.com. The the Pac-12 championship game, Ryan. Right now, gun to your head, who's playing in Vegas on December second? You know, it's tough. It's like everyone's got a different path. You know, where Oregon has the two toughest games of the top four. You know, they have to play both Utah and UCLA, but they get them both at home. Uh, Utah already has a loss. USC already has a loss. And UCLA's got a tough one going, you know, to Eugene. They also have to play USC, so I guess they have to play two as well. Um, I, you know, I kind of think it's gonna could be an Oregon-USC uh, game. But I, you know, for some reason, I just think with with Utah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it right now with the way that Utah – you know, if they're playing at home, yeah. it's one thing. But I don't see them winning in Eugene – and if and if Oregon wins this weekend, like I think they do, I think they're in. The, you know, they have the inside track to go. And um, so, so I'm kind of thinking USC and Oregon right now. But I mean, I, I think any combination of those top four you could probably see in Las Vegas. Yeah, I agree with you on Utah because I think if that game's not at Rice Eccles Stadium, I think I don't think they win it. And I think UCLA. I think Oregon's going to get UCLA. So for me, it comes down to November 19th. Who wins that game, SC or UCLA? Because I think that will be for. Uh, a spot in the conference championship. Caleb Williams played really well at Utah. I thought it, I, it was the best. Like he was far better than he was in Corvallis. What was going right for him against U- Utah's defense? 
You know, we were at practice yesterday talking to some of the offensive players, a couple offensive linemen, and really just how they handled the noise was so much better. And it looked like Caleb Williams and, and Corvallis didn't know what he was doing. When the first couple of games, they looked like it was a well-oiled machine. And they didn't handle the noise very well. And I think that they were able to handle it. And I thought, you know, even Caleb Williams, you saw him going up to individual linemen and changing the play and talking to each one. And I'm like, that's going to be a disaster. And it was working. So I feel like they grew as a team, Caleb Williams too, just kind of from that environment. Uh, Actually, one of the linemen told me that Oregon State might have been a little bit louder than it was at Utah, which is crazy, uh, until the the last drive. And it was really crazy with the must and everything. But I feel like they've grown a lot from that game. That's what I wanted to see going into it. They don't have, you know, any really tough road games coming up. I mean, you could say, you know, in, in Tucson or something, but... Um, I feel like they did learn a lot from that experience. And the key now is learn a lot from this Utah loss and learn from that experience. You can learn from a win, which is great, but you do have to learn from this loss. But I, I've seen him be a little bit more comfortable uh, when they were playing overmatched opponents. Things just seemed to flow easy. When things got a little tougher in conference, I think he struggled a little bit at times. But he's making the plays. If it's not there with his arm, he's able to take off and run. Now, he took a couple of bad sacks, but... I can't fault the guy for taking bad sacks. He's got out of so many sacks. It's just really hard to – I think, you, you know, you do that so much, you think you can get out of anything, and, and you can't really. But I, I thought he's grown a lot. And, he, you know, he's still a true sophomore, you know, and, and getting better as a quarterback. But he, he had a monster game. You know, Cam, there's been a lot of monster games in the Pac-12 the last couple of weeks from quarterbacks. But he's certainly showing why he's one of the best in the conference. Let's talk a little bit, you know, because I think you have a unique perspective. Uh, the outsiders – like myself and other people in not in L.A., uh, are talking about the Pac-12 and disappointed with what happened with USC and UCLA defecting. But you're in the inner circle there, and you're in Southern California. You probably know better than most how alumni and typical fans feel about it. What is the sentiment in general among your readers about USC to the Big Ten? You know, initially it was more split than I thought it would be. Uh, but since then, I think people kind of have come around, at least on the, the USC side in Los Angeles. I'm hearing a lot more sort of disappointment with the with the decision on the UCLA side uh, than on the USC side. I haven't, you know, from talking to people in the program, I, I don't know if I've talked to anyone in the athletic department that was like, yeah, this is a mistake. Um, they appear to be on board, at least you're working there. And then the fans, it's definitely come around. There are some that they're just like, hey, I don't want to lose the tradition of playing Cal and Stanford and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, people have sort of bought in. And I, I feel like a lot of it comes from they do still have aspirations of being like what they were in the John McKay years or in the Pete Carroll years and being a nationally relevant team. And I think a lot of the fans just felt like we weren't able to do that in the Pac-12, the way things are going forward. It's, it's going to be tough if, or if Ohio State's making three times as much money as you or, or Alabama is, and how are you going to compete on the recruiting side? I think a lot of it from the USC fans is they want to get to that, at least have the potential to get to that elite level again with an Ohio State or a Alabama or a Georgia, and they just didn't feel, at least a lot of them didn't feel like they could get there uh, with the Pac-12. So I, I kind of feel like that's why maybe on the USC side there's more people that have bought in than on the UCLA side. But that's sort of the, the sentiment, like you know, the feeling I've got uh, just being in L.A. Ryan Abraham, I appreciate you. USCfootball.com. You do a great job. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, John. It sounds great. There he is from USC Football's perspective.
Uh, I think it's interesting to see how the schedule is lined up very favorably for Lincoln Riley and USC. They will get back on track. It will be a win over Arizona. It presumably will be a win over Colorado, a win over Cal. They will then get UCLA on the 19th of November. I expect that game will be a gateway game to the Pac-12 championship. I think one of the L.A. schools is going to get to Vegas. I don't think both. And I think it's probably Oregon against one of the L.A. schools. Now, on the outside, looking in, Oregon State and Utah, uh, not out of this. And if there is a logjam at the top and multiple, multiple tiebreakers, uh, look out because I think it could be really interesting. I started looking at tiebreakers. You can't do it yet. It's, it's, there's too many. There's too many tentacles to this. It's an if and if and if game, and it gets too convoluted and complicated. So I think uh, what you need to do right now, if you're a Pac-12 fan, is root for your team. And uh, I think you need to root for one of the L.A. schools, potentially, to have a unexpected defeat. Because uh, what I would like to see, hell, I'd like to see Oregon and Oregon State play in, the, play in Vegas in the conference championship game. We can get that now without divisions. But... Uh, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to have some chaos. And Oregon's going to have to beat Utah. Oregon's going to have to beat UCLA. And uh, I think, uh, meanwhile, the UCLA-USC conundrum is going to have to get fixed. Stephen, do you have a preference? If Oregon is playing in Vegas for the conference championship, you want to see a rematch with UCLA or you want to see USC? Uh, I think I would rather see USC. Uh, I think that's the matchup that... Uh, you know the top, top three teams: Utah, USC, Oregon. At the start of the year, those were the three teams we saw Utah and USC play. We're going to see Oregon and Utah play. I, I want to round it out and see Oregon, USC. One loss, USC against one loss, Oregon could be a potential. Hey, maybe they're in the playoff uh, scenario uh, in the Pac-12 championship. Anna's going to pop in the studio next. Plus, in the five o'clock hour, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be with us. <laughs> You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You know how when you're in a casino, the uh, maybe you're on a run, the casino, the pit boss will come over, just kind of hover over their blackjack table or your craps table, or maybe they'll send the cooler in to uh, cool you off. Uh, the opposite of that is Anna. She uh, pops on the show every day, always changes the energy in a positive way. Uh, she came in during the break, Stephen, and she said, have you noticed today? Well, I'll just let her tell you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm not usually one to scroll like sports news, but it's become more of a thing lately because I feel like I probably should know a little something about what's going on. Yeah. And I just feel like scrolling the news today, everything was like sad or negative. It was like, okay, the Alabama player, you know, the video of him hitting the woman on the field, Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft getting into it and dropping F-bombs. Who really cares about that? Billionaires fighting, woohoo. But, and then, you know, sad story out of Mississippi State. It's just like everything is... And then, like, the Deshaun Watson thing just continues. It's, it's like you go to sports for a distraction, for highlights, for excitement, and feel good. But what you wind up reading about in the news is, like, DWIs and DUIs and people getting arrested and acting badly. I don't know. It's why just... is that, you think? Why do you think that the negativity, right, is out there? Or why is that interesting to people? Why is that being reported more than the positivity? Well, I mean, in news, 
like if we're just going to be real like negative news tends to draw more attention than positive news you know people click right past the positive or like as much as people say with tv news for example oh tv news is so negative we wish that it would be more positive but the the actual ratings reflect that when you do positive news they change the channel so they stay tuned hmm. in when you talk about terrible things really? happening, you know? Really? It, really. Man, yeah. that that is, uh, I guess it's true of human nature. Like, people tend to gravitate towards anxiety and negativity, Yeah. you know? But the truth is, sports is supposed to be this safe haven, you know? It's supposed to be where we come to get away from that crap. And, and I think it is, but those aspects of it are covered way less, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is your world, not mine. Yeah, I I think it's changed in the last couple few years even more. Like, I do think we saw an era maybe five or eight years ago where it, where it pivoted towards the courts, not the basketball courts, but the courts of law. Yeah. And who, who was getting arrested, who was getting fined. Yeah. But now I think it's more into what fan threw some, something at somebody at the game, who slapped somebody, who shoved a cameraman as they were leaving the field, who, uh, you know, uh, what's going on with Tom Brady and his split with Giselle? Right. And it it does feel like even within the sports world, there's a, uh, there's a TMZ angle to it. Oh, for sure. Or edge to it that yeah. didn't used to be there. Steven, do you find that on your updates? Yeah, I try to stay away from, like, the super negative one. Like, uh, Anna was talking about uh, the guy with the DWI, James Booknight. Like, he, he was unconscious in his car with a gun on his lap. And it's like, well, I don't want to report that. Like, it's... I'd rather be, you know, more fun things like the Trailblazers. They're starting the season today. Or Dak Prescott's coming back from injury. Like, I yeah, it's it's tough. Like, I don't know I don't know what the line is because you want to report everything and you want to talk about everything, but at the same time, like, I don't want to be ultra-negative because right. there is a lot of negative out there. Well, because and, – and then the question when it comes to, like, news judgment is, in the end, what is the newsworthiness of that story? It's that there's a photo – it makes him like look real bad. He's got the bag of Doritos and the gun in his lap, right? Like that's mm -hmm. newsworthy in a sense because it's very tabloidy, highly clickable, an image that, you know, is going to get people's attention. But in the end, in the big scheme of things, how newsworthy is it really? And that's what I don't quite have a peg for in the sports world. Like I can tell you what's newsworthy in TV news and in other forms of news, but in sports, it's a little muddled for me. Because yeah, people, do people care about that, or they'd rather hear about what's happening on the court or on the field, right? Like, that's yeah. what I'm more interested in, is what's happening on the court and the field, but there's so much stuff happening off of it. I think we need a better filter, though, because I think it's really easy. Is the Alabama player taking a swing at a woman on the field? Should that have been something that we have talked about on this show, for example? Right. It, and it did. It came up earlier in the show, and it came up as kind of a one-off after the big splash. I mentioned it because it sure. was a story that I saw. Yeah. But I only saw it because uh, ESPN had tweeted it out. Right. So ESPN decided that it was newsworthy. And why? But back yeah. up. Like, why is it newsworthy? It's. I will tell you. It's additionally newsworthy because there is video of it. Because that woman went on TikTok and said, "I got hit in the head by this player." There's video of it. If there's no video, it's not newsworthy. If it's if there's no video, it's not as newsworthy. It doesn't grab as many yeah. headlines. It does. It's not as clickable, so to speak. Right. Yeah. So I 
I think it would be a lot easier to focus on the positive stuff, and not even positive, focus on the actual games and the sports and the baseball games being played, the Padres playing the Phillies, the NBA opener, college football off the weekend into the next weekend, the NFL you know, in full swing in their season. There's plenty of content out there. So I think part of it is I think that we've got to do a better job of just discerning. And I've said this before. I said this like a couple of weeks ago on air. I said we can't just decide that the top stories are the top stories that ESPN is suggesting to us. Right. I think it's really dangerous because if we're all going to ESPN and going, what are the top stories today? Okay, that's what matters. We're not really getting the broad picture of what's really going on in sports. Well, because think about what ESPN is trying to do, especially on their social media. They're not just trying to appeal to diehard sports fans. They're trying to raise the algorithm of each of their posts and get the massive like massive appeal and get something, you know, on their website or on their socials that is going to be highly shareable probably not even by people that are that interested in sports because they're trying to like hook in a broader audience with something that doesn't have to do with X's and O's on a field or a court. We're going to talk about fan experiences inside the stadium. What is the best experience you've ever encountered? I saw a pretty good atmosphere last weekend in Salt Lake City. I'm expecting a great atmosphere this weekend, both venues, both at Research Stadium for Oregon State's game where they are sold out and at Autzen Stadium, where game day will be there. 503-417-7575, if you want to weigh in and share the best atmosphere you've ever experienced yourself. I want to hear about your experiences. We'll give ours as well. We'll talk about why it's important. Uh, We're back inside stadiums, live sporting events. I want to share on this front. I think it's important. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.